Hey, how's it going? I'm Isaac, your podcast host. Again, if you've kept up with me this long, thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. And if you're new, welcome. I hope you enjoy this episode and share it with friends. It's a good one. I'm always working on making this podcast a better experience for you. And little by little, we'll get there. So as always, thank you for coming along for the ride. Now, welcome to This Undefined, the podcast that aims to break down the social context of what you heard and what you believe. From health, culture, business, and beyond, no topic is left off the table. So tune in as we try to make sense of how we define our perspectives and the people who have an opinion about it. In this episode, we continue to dive into health, a series where I interview different people in the medical field. So we'll hear how different healthcare professionals define this topic and how their experience allows them to make meaningful decisions for themselves and the people around them. This is Psychiatrists Undefined with guests Kim Diatley and her dog. Kim Diatley. I'm a third-year psychiatry resident and friend of Isaac. Yeah, you are. <laughs> a very good friend. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, which I will visit in Utah soon. You should. Okay. I'll have to admit, um, so I did listen to your <laughs> podcast and, you know, it sounds pretty good quality. Because I'm, I'm trying but I, I yeah. still have work to do. I still have work to do. Yeah. I mean, it sounds good quality. The The sound looks really good or sounds really good. It's okay. clear. Okay. And I also think you're right about your voice. I think it's a pretty good podcast voice, which is, which is good. Cause I know <laughs> there are a lot of podcasters that have to take voice or, lessons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a learning experience in every aspect of trying to make a podcast. Cause I like the interviewing, the, the, you know? speaking the moving the conversation along the editing it's just it's a lot yeah well I mean that's good quality for for real life though if you're able to do the especially the conversation part the interviewing because that's not always easy you know and people that are good podcasters know how to hold a conversation (laughs) so I think that's good um but man you're you're uh podcasts are long say. i knew we were gonna say that <laughs> oh my god i, was I know, like, I, know I know wow I we talk even... for a while and that I know. Like, when, when i'm editing it it doesn't make sense if i don't put this in there so i I, I cut out a lot i cut out a lot but uh but i still try to make a conversation sound cohesive yeah. um and it's still it's still it's still true to what they're saying. Like, I don't change what people are saying. Like, I make sure of that for sure. But I just like, right, you don't like edit things yeah, in and yeah, out. Yeah, no, I'm like, no, because if I just let it play, first of all, it would be way long. And then also I take out a lot of people's mannerisms, like ums and likes that, that if I was a pod, like oh, listener, I would be like, why yep. do you keep saying that? Oh my so God. So I make people sound yep. much better than they think they sound when they, when I put it out. That's good. I, that's I mean, that's myself. also <laughs> right. I, yeah. It's hard because that is a part of how, like, the vernacular and how everyone speaks. Yeah, I find that I pay attention to that sometimes, both in podcasts and in person. Like, uh, I just did it. Um, I <laughs> I hone into it a little bit more. You do, and so 
it does become very it distracts from the actual content. And I try not to, but it's really hard. It is. I'm listening to it, like editing it, editing it, right? And then yeah, I notice it and then I don't stop noticing it. So then I start to edit around that. And so I, I have to give myself a break. I have to step away so that I don't keep hearing it. Because then I, I mess up the cadence of people's speech. And I don't want to do that. So if I a know. like if a like or an um sounds like it's supposed to be in there, then Either. I leave it in. Yeah. So, but I don't notice it unless I leave and stop editing for like a day. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good tool because I think it can be one of those instances where you're so honed in on it that it becomes very annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you stop paying attention to what the person is actually saying and and you're just listening for the. Yeah. The ums and the likes, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think I'm probably going to be a little bit in my head about that. So it's okay. Um, I'll try to make you feel as relaxed as possible. <laughs> so, so this is hard too for me, Isaac, because personally I hate talking about myself. I think it's part of why I enjoy, well, very small part of why I enjoy psychiatry is that I get to, I get to help other people and focus on the stuff that's affecting them, not in a pathological way, I would say, although I think it can be a bad thing um, when, when you don't have that balance, but it's something, you know what I think it is. I think there's a lot, again, not an easy answer of why, how I got here and why I chose psychiatry. It's a culmination of events and experiences and a lot of which are very personal mm-hmm. not the, and it, I, and i think that too it's a little bit intrusive sometimes not that i have any like emotional baggage although i think that everyone probably has some sort of emotional baggage of why they decided to do medicine but for me i think that it kind of does focus too much on the past rather than the here and now and i and i think oh. For me personally, I spend, I've spent a lot of my life focusing on either the future or the past. And I'm just now trying to focus, spend more of my energy thinking about today. You know, Mm -hmm. I just, I just recently redid a personal statement for fellowship. It was a lot of, why did I get into it? Why do I want to do addiction? Does it have you doubting, not, not doubting like where you're the direction you're going, but doubting like what your mission statement in life is like, because you have to keep mm-hmm. rethinking it. So it just, does it right. refine it or does mm-hmm. it make you doubt it? That's a good question. It doesn't help. It doesn't make me redoubt it. But what I I've come to realize is there are so many conscious and subconscious reasons that explain why I decided to do this. And, and me writing a personal statement or trying to explain how I got here is just a snapshot of the events that led me here. There's a lot of reasons, but the real explanation for a lot of folks is it's multifactorial and it involves a long process of trying to figure out what you want to do and who you are. Yeah. And, and usually there's not totally a clean, crisp explanation, there's a buildup of experiences. Yeah. I would say, or would you think that more so in that field? Because I feel like trying to make a mission statement for other like business, engineering, it's pretty straightforward. But like you said, when it comes to anything with psychology, it's multifactorial and 
there's so many experiences that sort of lead you into that. It's not one specific thing. So you will sort of formulate it in a way where it's clear for anyone yeah. to read and be like, oh, I know what she's yeah. about. But knowing that behind that, it was a whole like journey to get there. Yeah. And I think that's true with most of medicine. I yeah. think the idea of helping others and then a true interest in diseases and wellness and health. And then within that field, people sort of gravitate towards illnesses that are most interesting to them or the patients yeah. that most affect them. That's true with with any uh, field of medicine, generally speaking. I would say that a lot of people make compromises in the field of medicine and what they choose to do because nothing is perfect. Yeah. Uh, there's always going to be frustrations with any field and limitations. But I would say that if people end up finding something that draws them, that's really important to pay attention to. And for me, it was psychiatry. Yeah. Well, what so. was your earliest memory in where you kind of solidified, wow, this is the right road I'm embarking on? Yeah, I think I would probably say it was when I was a kid. I actually was diagnosed with ADHD when I was younger. And so I saw, I started seeing a psychiatrist from when I was about seven or eight years old around the age of second grade. And that was probably one of my best experiences visiting the doctor wow. as a kid. I mean, you cool. know, you weren't getting any shots. Um, you weren't going there because you were sick. That's true. Granted, you didn't get like the sticker or lollipop at the end of it. So there's that trade-off, but, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was different than your general pediatrician. And I would sit there, I would be asked questions. I would be able to play with the toys that they had available. I got to share about my day and how things were going. Wow. It was nice. I mean, that does it sound was nice. me being talked to, yeah, and versus my my parents while they were talked to and everything. But it 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 was a different experience, and also just how impactful medicines were to me. Um, mm. It was going from you know not doing well in the second grade, making C's and D's, and then thinking, well, not being aware of that at first, and then making B's and then A's and realizing that I was able to succeed and do really well and pay attention once I was started on appropriate medicine for my ADHD. And so I guess as I progressed in like grade school and, and then on, I've always thought of psychiatry as this awesome field in medicine that really gets to help people, helps them completely turn their life around, allows them to succeed and recognize that they're more than just what other, what their symptoms are. I saw it as a really unique field in medicine. And so I think that was as a young kid, that was, that was definitely my first interaction and probably what really made me realize that this is something I should pay attention to. I think that's probably it. But again, this is yeah. all like yeah. looking back and trying to conceptualize how I got here. But yeah. it definitely played a role because yeah. I I don't think a lot of people end up having an experience with a psychiatrist at a young age. Yeah, that's, that's um, exactly. And 
Yeah. And what a lot of kids will want to be a doctor, but that in particular, this field, um, I thought was super cool. Since you started going at a young age, did you, did you recognize that you, that it was easier for you to connect dots as you grew up, like in how you can cope with certain things or knowing how to have some kind of healthy relationship with your mental health? I don't think so. No. Hmm. So I was okay because other other like I never grew up going to a psychiatrist or like for any reason. So like for me, I was never really given that that's a thing to do, right? Like a lot of especially in minority groups, it wasn't you need to go to the doctor to talk about how you're feeling. But you had this experience; it was all about you. Yeah, and I would say that I wasn't as I got older and beyond like elementary school, I was less and less comfortable talking about myself and talking about how my, you know, school was going, what my interests were. I felt like it was weird. I didn't have, you know, psychiatry is very different than psychology and that psychology is more about therapy and coping skills and learning how to manage, you know, psychiatric symptoms with, without the use or in complement to medications. I primarily just saw a psychiatrist. And so the visits themselves were pretty short and I didn't really have much to say other than the medicines were working. I didn't really learn that I was not managing the, like my anxiety and other aspects of mental illness as well as I could have um, managed when I was younger. And so I think that coping strategies and and overall mental health wellness that didn't come until later as an adult. And it, you know, as with any form of health, uh, it's something that has to be continuously like looked at and worked on. So let's start there. How do you define psychiatry? Like what is that? What is the difference between psychology and psychiatry? And that is, yeah, that's actually a good question. And one that, I find that I have to define more often than not, even amongst uh, medical providers. So psychology and psychiatry, they're both within the field of mental health. They are both what we call clinicians. And that term has been utilized more for non, non-medical providers. So including psychologists, therapists, um, dietitians, things like that. Psychologists help people in a way that is complementary to to medicine. So the training is a little bit different in terms of what the focus is in psychology. They learn a bunch of different therapies, psychotherapies for patients, and um, often work in concert with psychiatrists who go to medical school and are MDs or DOs, so medical doctors, and they, we learn from a medical standpoint of treating somebody. So while we do are trained in various aspects of um, therapy, we don't have as much extre- extensive training as psychologists, not nearly as much. Um, but we're, we focus more on the underpinnings of psychiatric illnesses. So the medical etiology, the pathology and treatment and management through medications, as well as psychotherapies. Rarely does one alone kind of cut it, but then both can be used as main treatment methods. So whether it's medicine or therapy, 
oftentimes people do get benefit from either alone, but when it's together, it's, it's the most beneficial for the person. So a lot of men, so a lot of providers often do, like I said, get as confused with psychologists and not that that's a bad thing, but they're just different. And so psychologists can't prescribe medicines. They don't go to medical school. And whereas we, we do, and and that's kind of our main means of treatment. There are psychiatrists that primarily focus on psychotherapy. That's, that's the rarity, but we, we mainly take care of the medication standpoint of things okay. and the medical aspects of psychiatric care. Okay. And so, so when I, when I hear psychiatry, there is, or whenever that comes up, there's often a stigma because of the medication spark. So why do you think mm. there is still that label on yeah. it? Yeah. God, you know, that's a really hard question to answer yeah. because, because I, from my experience, I don't think that there is. My experience comes from being medicated for my ADHD at a very young age. So I never felt, well, I guess I never developed my own stigma or thoughts about it. I just kind of took the medicine because it was helpful. I don't know if there's a a particular stigma against one versus the other. I think there's definitely a stigma against mental health. And I think, you know, I, I see that changing a lot in terms of the patients who are, are seeing me. A lot of times they are just you know, they're, they do come, they come with that idea that they feel bad that they're needing to, to seek uh, treatment, mm-hmm. but, but there's, I mean, in, in somebody's lifetime, there's a large percentage of people that do have depressive symptoms. And then a good percentage of those people are going to have a major, or, you know, a depressive episode. Yeah. Oftentimes, I mean, for a lot of people that can resolve on its own, um, sometimes people will go to therapy, sometimes, you know, self-help books help, but then for the individuals, and this is just speaking about depression, but for the individuals that that doesn't work, or maybe it's Mm -hmm. more functionally impairing, seeking help is the best thing that you can, you can do. And so, Um, I, I do find that a lot of people, when they, by the time they see me, they've had to overcome some of that stigma Mm -hmm. and had to come to terms with it. And we kind of, in, in an, um, appointment, we try to talk about that stuff and explain, provide some education about what it is they're experiencing, whether it's a mood disorder or an anxiety disorder or even ADHD or something like that, try to explain what it is um, that I think is going on and then how medications may or may not be beneficial. And that's the thing too, is it's not always uh, as simple as having a medication to solve a problem. And a lot of times I find that I recommend therapy more often than medications because the situation is not as simple as a biological or neurological or neuropsychiatric disturbance. It's, it's more a combination of that plus psychosocial stressors like financial stressors, marital issues, you know, physical limitations or injuries, chronic pain, things like that, that medication alone is not going to treat. So I I think by the time that they do see me, for instance, that stigma has lifted somewhat, 
But depending on the setting that you're in, for instance, if you're in an inpatient setting and some sometimes you have pe- people come in that are not there voluntarily, and those are a danger to harm themselves, others, or and then like a gross inability to care for themselves. Those are more challenging, but we we try to kind of chip away at the, the stigma that that person holds. But most of the time, more times than not, they kind of see that it's just another aspect of wellness and health. So you touch on two things that I want to kind of highlight that seem like a bigger conversation to have. But mm-hmm. one of them is the world's relationship with medication is not healthy. So having people who are going into the field that have that understand that and know how to change maybe that stigma that we're talking about into mm-hmm. a way where, you know, I'm going to offer some talk therapy. So don't just always depend on this medication. Mm-hmm. Find a way where you can know how to balance those two together and not have it be so dependent on one or the other because there's so many kind of nuances within mental mm-hmm. health, right? But mm-hmm. tell that to someone, right? And it's, but the medication will be a lot easier, right? So I'll go that way yeah. and then that's where it gets abused. So there's there's two aspects that are frust- can be frustrating for a mental health provider. One is where a scenario where a patient is coming to you and they're only wanting to try medications. They don't want to do therapy. They maybe tried it in the past and they found it to be not helpful or they're just not interested. They don't feel like it's going to be uh, a, a good idea for them. And so they're just not interested in, in pursuing it. And so they're looking to you to prescribe medications. That can be frustrating because very rarely do medications alone treat somebody's psychiatric symptoms. That is the rarity. A lot of the times it's, yeah, it's the combination of med management as well as therapy, because there are a lot of things rather than just here in your, in your brain that are happening, that are contributing to um, mental health or their psychiatric state. So, and oftentimes it, it's behavioral changes uh, or the things that they're not doing, that they're not engaging in, for instance, in depression that are reinforcing the depression. And so medicines may push them in the right direction, but it's not going to get them up and out of their house or engaging in the things that they used to like, because they're not going to all of a sudden want to do those things. So it's a lot of training to do things that are also uncomfortable um, during a depressive episode. And, but that also, but in order to, you have to convince somebody to to take those steps outside of their comfort zone. And that involves, this is why therapy is so important because it it helps medication work better. So that's one scenario where somebody's Mm -hmm. just wanting kind of the silver bullet to, for you to help by prescribing something. Fortunately, medicine has garnered a reputation of sort of quick fixes and, and being that for people. I mean, and, and that's the, unfortunately that's not true in a lot of fields, but especially true, not true in psychiatry um, because we're, we're fairly limited on what medicines can do. um, And we have to rely on, the patient to also make changes in their life that are going to support their mental health. I feel like psychiatry, since it deals with medications, I think it's the closest thing to sort of give value to how mental health is important 
because mental health is such an abstract thing for people because it's all in your head. So when you have a conversation with mm-hmm. someone on their mental health, they're like, just get over it or like toughen mm-hmm. up. All these these words are thrown out in, in yeah. a way where it, it gives mental health not that much of an importance. But I feel like psychiatry could be that thing because you're showing what chemical changes are happening and how that yeah. occurs. And it helps to educate. Well, yeah. And, and I think too, so that's the other aspect. And I am glad you brought that up of the polar opposite of the patient, the type of patient that I just described is the one that maybe is seeing you, but kind of doesn't like the fact that they're seeing you. They are (laughs) pretty anti-medications or at least want to be on the the least amount of meds and the lowest dose as possible. And I, I find that I'm actually more in agreement with that type of person or at least that mentality because mm-hmm. I too want somebody be to be on the lowest amount of medicines possible the least amount um, I want to know whatever we are prescribing that it's actually doing something otherwise I don't feel the need to continue to prescribe it those patients can be frustrating in a different way because a lot of times um, they can work against themselves, their, their progress, or at least prevent themselves from actually experience full benefit from treatment. And this is what I hear often of not wanting to be dependent on a medicine or not wanting it to change who they are or change their personality. They worry about becoming a zombie. Maybe they even had a bad experience in the past where they tried a medicine and they felt like they had no emotions and they would rather feel the lows of what they're experiencing or the anxiety of what they're experiencing now than not feel anything at all. And I would say that that is the a frustrating mentality, probably a more frustrating mentality for me to, to overcome because I'm trying to educate somebody that that shouldn't be the case with medications um, in psychiatry. I don't want it to change their personality. I don't want it, them to not feel anything. And typically when that happens to somebody, I think that medication changes need to be made or the doses need to be uh, reduce because that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, especially when somebody is experiencing depression or anxiety, we shouldn't numb them out so much that they're not feeling or experiencing their emotions. What we should do is improve their ability to function in their life to where they're not controlled by their emotions so much that mm-hmm. they can take a step back and think about it to, and they can challenge maybe some cognitive distortions that they maybe were not able to challenge before. In a way, I I tell them that you don't have to be on these medications forever, but this can help your therapy work better. This can help you improve your level of functioning. And after a period of time, if if you're doing well and we wanna maybe come off the medicines, let's have that discussion. Mm. But for the people that are significantly impaired, like they're having difficulties at work, they're having difficulties interpersonally with other people and their relationships. Yeah. They're having difficulties like with sleep, energy, motivation, concentration, mm-hmm. things like that. I tell them that medicine can, can help with those symptoms um, to get you to where you want to be sooner. And then, and then hopefully they continue seeing me so we can have that discussion. But sometimes that's not the case. And they, they see me once and then try it and maybe just never follow up and, mm. and then stop the medication and, and, you know, to each their own. 
Um, but I, I hope that by having those discussions with people, we kind of lessen the stigma a little bit of psychiatric yeah. medicines, because just like anything, they would probably take a medicine for their blood pressure. And I, I don't know why mental illness, or I don't have an easy explanation for why there's a stigma against mental illness, but, um, it should be seen very similarly, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's a it, vulnerability thing. I think it's part, a huge part of it. No. It's a vulnerability. And I think to that comparison mentality of, well, I don't know why I'm feeling like this because it doesn't seem like anything, anyone else is experiencing this. Um, and, and so something is defective oh. or wrong with me and, and it's hard. Yeah. It one, it, it, that's not correct at all. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's a cognitive distortion that yes. makes it seem like you're defective again defective and something is wrong pathologically wrong with you yeah or wrong with the way that you're thinking or doing or living your life and that's not really it's not as simplistic as that thankfully and i think part of the reason well there's a lot of reasons why the stigma is is decreasing but people are being a lot more open about uh struggles struggling with their own mental illness Mm -hmm. issues or psychiatric issues and so people are recognizing that this is actually more common than they were led to believe the mentality of keeping things to yourself and just, you know, going like plowing right through putting your head to the ground and just dealing with it on your own. It's not a viable option. We have increased risks of suicide, um, especially, you know, even now more among um, younger even at adolescence, that, that rate is increasing significantly. I think we're starting to recognize that suffering alone is not the option. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's, it's, not, inter- it's not a healthy option. So it's interesting you say that because I feel like we've created this romanticized version of a person who they struggled quietly, but they overcame a lot of things, which is a great thing to have. But I feel like that's the reason why people don't talk. I'll just figure it out by myself. If they don't, yeah. if they don't do the same, they're not tough. They're weak. So there's these yeah. like things that we attribute. Um, but I feel like you said now there is this conversation happening, but that conversation now is being sort of polarized because or politicized. Yeah. And that kind of brings in more of that stigma, I guess, on being able to talk about your issues. Yeah. And I mean, mental health doesn't have to be all about illnesses. And I think that, you know, maybe that that's part of the stigma is that it it does focus on psychiatric diagnoses and illnesses and that it doesn't have to be about that. It can, just like anything, it can be about prevention. And I mean, everyone's going to experience a psychiatric, everyone experiences psychiatric symptoms. That is um, something, unfortunately we can't avoid, but some, and some people have more of a predilection towards a psychiatric condition than others. But at the end of the day, it's a very universal experience. And the more we talk about it, the more we recognize that we're not alone in it, that there's treatment for it and that you're not a weirdo or defective because you happen to have a psychiatric condition. Uh, so something we kind of skipped over is how, how do you define mental health? Like, what does that look like for you? Oh, God. I know. I mean, God, mental health. It, it's a lot. It's a very broad <laughs> term. It's like, yeah, it's like physical health, but just on the mind. <laughs> I mean, 
I think of mental health as something that has to be fundamentally prioritized and paid attention to in order to achieve physical well-being. Sometimes people don't sort of recognize that to be the case, but maybe those individuals may not struggle with any illness that is um, interfering with their mental health. Often too, people don't may not recognize the things that they do in their day-to-day life that are actually a part of mental health or the, or their mental health. So for instance, like making the decision to go on a walk um, while you're on a break from, from work or in between classes, deciding to go to bed earlier is a part of mental health. Uh, deciding to you know, making decisions is a huge part of mental health. The, the aspect that I think we focus on more is depression, anxiety, you know, schizophrenia, psychosis. And that's like the, the, all the stuff that I think maybe makes people feel a little bit uneasy about, Oh, well, I don't have that. Then, you know, I'm not, you know, sort of yeah. they can separate themselves from, from needing mental health or, or psychiatric care, but really it encompasses everything that you base your, you know, how you think, how you, how you live and this decisions that you make. So yeah. it's, it's very, very broad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thought process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, part of it. Yeah. Um, so how do you take care of your own mental health? How do you take care? What's your health? uh, (laughs) Yeah, that one's hard. And I think it's hard because I'm in, I would, I would say that I probably like a lot of other people in residency, a lot of other doctors, I struggle with balancing my own mental health needs. So, um, I try to do things that allow me to, prioritize myself and my needs. So, well, one, I try to process things, uh, openly with people. And I think that's super important. If you're in any field of, um, mental yes. health, it, it, it's important to talk about things that are, you're, you're struggling with, whether it is a, a patient, a difficult patient or a challenging patient interaction, or just personally, it's important to, to also just recognize maybe where you're at and what might be playing a role in that. Um, It's super challenging as a provider to, to not get enmeshed or emotionally affected by in your patients or interactions, but you have to have some degree of separation. You have to have the ability to say at the beginning and at the end, this, I am limited to what I can do for this individual. Um, I know that I can provide support and I can, this is, you know, I can provide recommendations. I can prescribe medicines, but I cannot physically make them do this. And at the end of the day, you have to be okay. Or to some degree, you have to be okay with that. There are certain instances where it's more challenging than others. And it sometimes emotionally, it, it sucks when you have people that have struggled and are still struggling so bad or have been through a lot of life circumstances that are 
they just, no one should have to go through. And it's hard to not take that on. And honestly, that makes you human when you do. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of good in this field and, and you do get to see people get better. And that is also important for mental health is to be in a field where you feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel that you, that energizes you, that you feel like you are doing something valuable or you you're getting something from, um, but I also make sure I have make time for doing the things that I like to do. I don't, I have boundaries in terms of like when I uh, leave work at work and when I can decide like, okay, no, I'm going to spend some extra time working on this, this thing. I try to set those boundaries for myself so that I'm not having so much of an imbalance in one, like my work life versus my personal life. But it's really hard because I think residency in general, that's kind of the whole, why they termed it residence. Cause, cause these doctors in training would basically live at the hospital, you know, <laughs> during their training. So it, it's almost, it's a culture that is improving, but it's not helpful or not yeah. encouraging intrinsically to prioritize like the residents' mental health. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's uh healthy. <laughs> it's not, it's really not. And, and you sort of wonder why the rates of physician suicide are a smidge higher than that of the general population. Yeah. I mean, burnout is really high and over time, the uh, graduate medical education, you know, they've set limitations on work hours, what is appropriate um, amount of time. And you can't, you should not be exceeding like 80 hour work weeks. You consistently, you should at least have one day off a week. Um, so yeah. it's okay if you work six hours or sorry, six days a week for 12 hour days, as long as you have one day off a week, which honestly sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, and that, but that is, they didn't have those limitations before. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, oh so yeah, which is, which is right. Which is really yeah. concerning because if you think like most people do not work 12 hour days, six no. days a week. So what is that? 72 hours. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. still under what the GME considers, you know, the maximum. So that's still, if you're working that amount of time, you're still within the yeah. guidelines of, you know, doing okay, but that's, but that's not sustainable. I mean, really it's not, I think that, you know, some people are blessed maybe, or have better ability than others to prioritize their mental health. Um, but I don't think it's something that we're intrinsically trained to do, even though, you know, we sort of have to teach people to do it or educate people to do it. We don't always, we're probably the worst patients. Doctors are really bad patients because we tell people this and we don't take mm. advice, mm -hmm. but we sort of, I think we sort of rationalize it to say, well, but I'm doing this for other people like this. Yeah. Look at what I'm doing. But again, this is where it, it, things like burnout and high suicide rates come into play is that we, we sort of go, go, go. And then until maybe things like depression 
um, or other stressors overwhelm. Yeah. Um, and then you don't, you don't really feel like there's a way out. So it's, it's a problem. I could do better at prioritizing my own mental health, but, you know, considering, um, where I am now and where I could be, I think I'm doing okay. And that's why it's important to just be, to have people in your life that you can communicate that with, or that can point those out to you. And this is also where therapy can be super helpful, even in residency. Mm -hmm. It's important to, for residents to, to get keyed in with whatever resources are available and understanding that it is something that happens. People do experience depression, anxiety, burnout in residency. That's very common. And to that, it's not like a failure. You're not a failure. And then there's not something wrong with you. It's just, it's a lot. And to be open to those resources, just like you would expect your patients to be is super important. So that's what I think people need to hear more uh, people talk on because there is this high expectation that a patient, like if they're, if they're interested in their health, that they put on the practitioner, the doctor, whoever it is. And without realizing there's a lot of work that comes, that has to be done on your end for yourself on top of what you have to learn education wise and uh, business wise. And so that doesn't leave a lot of amount for yourself to kind of help uh, your mental health, Mm -hmm. but there's, like you said, you are trying to fill it in where you can. There's a more human aspect to you. You're like, oh, you also have to deal with this. Yeah. And I think part of it too, though, is recognizing that hopefully for this, just this period of time and not forever, the things that you used to have time for, you no longer have time for. So then it's adapting to what is my new reality and how can Mm -hmm. I get some gratification from the things that I do have time for, but things have changed and you have to learn to, to take whatever fulfillment you can from those things that you're able to do. Yeah. And every, and that's changes throughout your life because you're going to have to probably change it later on again. (laughs) You have to recalibrate. Yeah. So, so the more, the quicker, you know, you might, you can, sort of adapt to the new reality and your new social life or lack thereof, the quicker maybe you can sort of come to terms with the depressing aspects of residency. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Adapting. That's a trait people need to learn more. (laughs) Well, it's hard. It is hard hard. because especially when you're sort of used to how things were in the past and during COVID, this is what a lot of people had to go through. And this is why a lot of people struggled is because, you know, the the adapting now to having their, their coping skills, essentially the things that they used to enjoy doing taken away from them. Mm -hmm. People don't tend to do well when they don't have that fulfillment, (laughs) like that, that outlet, that, that used to, that they felt balanced them. And a lot of times for people that was social interaction. So, so it's finding how can I fulfill maybe an aspect of this or get this from something else? It, that, it sucks, but you have to kind of, you, it's, it's adapting. You have to kind yeah. of shift your perspective. And what I do 
I, that's how I sort of use training with some of my clients, because there's this one, I'll share this story with you. There was this one time where a client came in and they look very stressed <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and usually sometimes they share, sometimes they don't I, like, I just wait on whatever they're comfortable with, but we're going to train regardless. And so, uh, they were very quiet and they're normally talkative and I could tell something was off. So I was, I changed the plan on the spot. And I was like, all right, you have these three exercises. You're going to do it within 15 minutes. And then you take your break wherever you need it, but you just keep going. Right. And so she starts going through it and I could see she gasses out really early. And then the 15 minutes were up and they were like, I I feel really tired. I felt like I was going to throw up almost. And I was like, well, that's the thing. You take your break wherever you need it. This kind of shows you how you have these things to accomplish right? They may be stressors in your body for your body at the time right now, but you're in control of that situation. The recovery time is all based on you. And so it was, it's interesting seeing people, how they choose to take use of their time, because when they're yeah. going through it, they're gassing out really quick where oh, you can man, like, that right. Would, yeah. Uh-huh. And so I was, yeah. and, and I, and I subtly told her, this is kind of life. Like if you have a lot of stressors going on in your, in your life and you're trying to balance all of them, doing all of them and you're feeling stressed and now it's changing your personality dynamics with people, you need to sort of take a step back, notice how you can take a time moment here, meditate, go to yoga, uh, have a conversation with a friend, do those things so that you're not trying to do it all at once. Right. And so I try to make, I don't do it blatantly, but I create scenarios where that little workout is a carryover into how she can incorporate that into her life. Very good. You know, I think that that that's, that's great and very insightful that you're able to do that. And it sort of underlies uh, a lot of helpful therapeutic techniques for people is to improve their self-efficacy. And because, you know, a lot of times stress, anxiety, even depression, things can emerge uh, and uh, hopelessness, all of that can emerge from feeling like you lack power or control and you don't have any sort of like, things are just happening to you. You're just experiencing them rather than making decisions, um, from moment to moment. And the quicker people can recognize that actually, they are making decisions. Like maybe that doesn't seem like it, but they they are making decisions on how they're approaching this. Yeah. The quicker they are able to do that, the quicker they can overcome a lot of whatever is burdening them. But in a way, it sounded like you you kind of helped her along that process. Now, I would have freaking I would have been super slow. With that <laughs> so, so I, yeah, because oh. I don't, you know, in those instances, I'm like, there's no reason why I need to go fast on this. So when people tell me, you know what, I, like whenever I do one of those hit workouts or anything, uh-huh. um, I no longer have the anxiety uh, as I used to when I was younger about needing to make a certain time or not measuring up or anything like that. I find that honestly, I wish I had a little bit of that because I, at the end of the day, I'm like, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to go so fast? You know, like this, this is the hard, I'm going to slow down. And I admire people that just really give it their all and try to like really push themselves. 
because I think I am sort of like, why am I doing this to myself? Because <laughs> I do have a choice. Yeah, yeah, you do. It's a little bit too far in the opposite direction. Yeah, I think. and I've had people like that as well. And I the approach is different. And this is a this is a way where I think uh, mental health can be incorporated in fitness, but not in a way where like people use fitness for their mental health. And what I mean by that is I've had people that come in there and like, I, I just want to get rid of all this stress and this is what I'm going to use. But they're not taking uh, mm-hmm. ownership of things that are happening in their life. They're using it as a coping mechanism, right? Yeah. A dependent, they're attached to it yeah. a little bit. While there is yeah. health benefits like physio- physiological stuff, right? That's happening. The mental part, the thought process of what they're trying to escape from or figure out, it, it's you don't do that working out. Like you have to do that on your own, at home, think about it, right? But when you're working out, you should be thinking about your body. Like you should be yeah. thinking, how can I get stronger? You're not thinking of like, I just want to punch this person. I'm lifting this weight, yeah. you know? I mean, if that helps you, great. But at the same time, we still personally have to acknowledge there's some work to be done on your end, not in a physical way, but in a thought process way. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I see more of people using it as a way to escape, I guess, from stressors. So, so using it as a way to release some internal tension that they're experiencing. Um, but, and also kind of calm themselves down, but not actively thinking about the, the, how to adapt or cope with whatever they're struggling from. So, um, it is a tool that I think is an amazing tool for people to, to help them maintain, uh, psychiatric wellness, but, also, like you said, it, it's, it's not, it's not treatment in and of itself. Yeah. And typically when somebody comes to me, there are a lot of people that I have that, um, man are admirable and how they, they use that exercising to them is a form of therapy. And, but yet, despite that, um, they, they are struggling with one thing or another, and the exercise itself is not is not tackling the issues that they're dealing with. And those are those patients are great because they already have something that's really helpful and um, healthy to yeah. to help maintain yeah. wellness at when their psychiatric problem is addressed through therapy or medicines, because that is a huge component that I wish, I could find a way to get people bought into a little bit more, including myself. Cause I, I think I make more time to do my, the other things in my life, except for, for physically exercising. Um, I need to, I need to figure that out. (laughs) Well, how do you ground yourself when you work with patients? Like how how do you have to build that kind of armor to be sure that you're like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and you're not taking on their stress. And then oh, also it is a constant <laughs> struggle. I will say I it is, it, it can be exhausting. I think one of the, the, the misconceptions about people in mental health or, you know, people that maybe decide not to go into mental health is like, that's not something that can be learned. And it really is something that you have to kind of learn uh, as you go along. So a lot of, um, a lot of, um, people that I know that are in medicine that are doctors, um, a lot of times they they'll tell you, well, I don't know how you can, you know, deal with that. Like it would totally affect me. I don't, I wouldn't know how to separate 
myself, um, emotionally. And I don't think that that's true because I think majority of doctors would be able to do that. They do it in some aspect or another when they are providing care to people, um, regardless of whether it's psychiatric care or, you know, other, uh, physical care. So it's something that you can learn along the way, but just like anything else, this is a medical condition that you're treating. So you have to approach it from that standpoint, mm, okay. regardless of, of how you're tackling the more emotional stuff from that standpoint, I approach it from a medical, uh, from medical first. And because that's what I'm tackling. I do therapy yeah. with patients also, but I rarely just do therapy itself. For me, I see a lot of positives in psychiatry and I see people often get better and improve their circumstances. Um, and this is just one aspect of their, their medical uh, health. So it's not as hard as people would believe, but hmm. there is, there are challenges, especially when you, there are instances where you can, you might relate a little bit more to an individual, whether it's because you've, you personally may have experienced some form of what they're, what they are currently experiencing, or I don't know, uh, something about it is really touching and that's okay. Um, the important part is to recognize when you are struggling or something is really bothering you more so than, than average. And that's where it is incredibly important to discuss it with your supervisors. So the doctors you're training under, you discuss it with your colleagues because you can sometimes work through that stuff so that it doesn't become consuming so that you can separate yourself a little bit more from that instance and understand, well, what is it about this case that, that is emotionally jarring or I'm finding is affecting me more so. And when you can kind of explore that, you can better understand what am I struggling with or what is bothering me about this and how can I use this knowledge to provide the best care for this patient. And it's important to not like treat each patient differently in, in a way that you would provide uh, mm. maybe more specialized care to an individual versus not. You want to provide great care to everyone. Um, but sometimes it does in any profession and medicine, oh. you, the ones that you identify more with, or that you feel more sorry for, sometimes that can dictate how you provide care to that individual. Mm. So it's always very important to recognize that so that you're not treating patients differently or providing different levels of care discriminately. Yeah. yeah. I remember talking to you and asking you about certain conditions or disorders. They're very draining. And I asked, like, in my mind, yeah. I would think that they could realize that at a certain point after looking back yeah. at their life. But you said, no, it's, it's, it's very difficult for them to do that. Well, How can we differentiate yeah. that between people and like knowing when it's not a very healthy? Well, it's clearly for individuals that struggle with emotional dysregulation to the extent of yeah. like it interfering with not only their 
their day-to-day function, but ability to maintain employment, ability to have lasting relationships in their life um, to their detriment, essentially, that is not what we consider a typical or healthy uh, thing, but it's not always related to a mood disorder or like some, like an anxiety disorder. Sometimes it can be related to a personality disorder. Mm. Um, And those are a little bit more challenging to treat from a psychiatric standpoint in the sense that there's a lot more limitations to what medicines can do. Um, Personality disorders are often by their construct and their, the way that, you know, their diagnosis of personality disorder are difficult for the patient to totally understand uh, or recognize as being a problem. There's a lot of theories as to why that is, but the lack of insight is partly what differentiates it from a, another psychiatric disorder, but the recognition that their own personality is causing so much conflict with everything is very distressing. So it can be very hard for, and destabilizing emotionally for patients to under, to come to that recognition to the point of recognizing, like I'm creating this chaos around me and oh my God, it's not other people. It's me. The problem is me. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard for people. And, 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 and and their brain is a lot of times their brain is protecting them from recognizing that because it is so distressing to understand that they are the center of their chaotic life. Like they're what's causing it. They're yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And so in a way, understanding that that is what is interfering with, with them improving or getting better allows you to separate your emotional attachment and, and feelings of, you know, disappointment or frustration. I mean, granted it's super frustrating interacting with individuals that are so hot and cold and seem to sabotage their own, you know, care, but under, but you have to kind of recognize like there are limitations to what you can do as a a provider and they have to be part they, I mean, they have to take those steps and be willing to accept what you're recommending. They don't have to totally buy into it right at the moment, but it would be nice if they could follow through on whatever you're recommending, but that doesn't work all the way. And so you have to be okay with, with meeting people where they're at. And yeah. that's just the nature of medicine. Yeah. I wish they were in a different spot, but that's, it's their life to live and it's not mine. And so I have to actively remind myself that. Um, a huge thing you said was your, the brain is protecting itself for people not to realize certain things. I'm like, that's huge. <laughs> I yeah. think because I mean the, that's kind of the cool and bad mm-hmm. part about the human body is that it's all it's protecting itself, but to a detriment at, for some to detriment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean that's the frustrating thing at times because you're working against what that person has developed as a coping strategy, yeah. and it can help when somebody's meeting you with resistance to think about well why is that? Yeah, you know why why is there some resistance? And it's not your your problem to solve necessarily, but it allows you to come at it with a different perspective, to have a little bit more empathy and compassion for that individual and patience to, 
to be like, okay, well, I can't expect them to be where I would like them to be. You know, if they're willing to meet me every day or make their appointments and give some effort, then that's good. And maybe I need to temper my expectations for this individual. Somebody for you, you know, working with clients and improving their physical fitness, you you might have to ask yourself, well, why is it so important for me, for them to be better or do better? And how do I like, you know, achieve, how do I change what my expectations are for this client? Or how do I come about it in a different way that meets them where they're at so that I am not emotionally drained or just always disappointed and frustrated. And also understanding that whatever your experience to an extent is probably what they're experiencing too. Yeah. You imagine they're fresh, like you're, if you experience that frustration with them to where they're at. Exactly. There is some degree, if not even more of that frustration that they have for themselves. And they might not totally be relaying that to you, but it's probably, there is probably some manifestation of that. It works both ways. It helps you also as a provider of that. Like yeah. you're, you're exposed to more different types of people, different interactions that it can help you do that in your everyday life, your normal relationships with people and meeting new people, family, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh <clears throat> yeah. It helps. It helps for right? sure. But and I bet sometimes... like, <laughs> I bet sometimes the family are like, don't psychoanalyze me right now. <laughs> and it's not, and I hate it when people say that. It's like not like I'm, I have that. <laughs> it's, it's not like I'm always trying to be a therapist or a psychiatrist (laughs) to anyone. Like, I don't, you're not my patient, No, but it does allow (laughs) you to sort of have a little bit more understanding of people. Yeah. Um, Because, Uh, yeah, I mean, because it's like, well, why do I have, why am I getting frustrated, you know, with this person? Is it because of this? Is it because, you know, X, Y, and Z, how can I go about making sure that I'm doing right by this individual while not putting my own expectations on them? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what they want. And so trying to align or figure out what it is can be more challenging than not, but it is important to, to remove whatever your hopes and dreams are and meet that individual where they're at. Yes. Uh, speak briefly on choice. Whenever people have have the means to go and see a psychologist, psychiatrist, mm-hmm. there is this personal choice that you're making them aware of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so speak on that, on how what that means for you, what that means for your patient. I I uh, I heavily emphasize autonomy, patient autonomy. I always tell them that they're the ones driving the bus and I will sometimes point them in the right direction. And sometimes it seems maybe I have more of opinions at certain times, but they're the ones that get to make the final decision. And sometimes I have to emphasize that more than for some people more than others, because I I realize that that's not always implied. And, and just by the nature of how medicine historically was and where it is heading today, there's a lot of difference between the paternalism of the past and how much more patient centered it is now. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, there are instances where that might be 
uh, detrimental and maybe even not appropriate in certain instances. For instance, like when somebody is committed to psychiatric treatment, meaning that they went through this process, the court deemed that it, it is in their best interest for themselves um, because they didn't have that ability or track record of making those decisions for themselves. That is, is the extreme case of where, you know, a patient may not have that autonomy for the majority of, of patients. They do have that ability to say yes or no. And we have to get that permission. And maybe in certain instances, there is this sort of push for therapists, um, and other mental health professionals to now call patients clients. And, uh, Mm. and, you know, within psychiatry, I think it's, and other medical professions, it's probably more appropriate to call them patients. Um, because clients for some may indicate more of a, while it kind of takes the paternalism out of what was you know, a patient, what used to be patient doctor relationship that does not indicate that now I have control over the, the word patient doesn't indicate my power yeah. over the patient by any means. And that's not how I view it, but that is sort of the argument for why some people in the mental health profession are advocating for the terminology client. But for my purposes, mm. I don't have a business business interaction or, you know, mm-hmm. exchange yeah. with a, with a patient, like I do a client. I am not an advisor per se to a patient. I'm a, I'm a medical professional. And uh, while I am giving my recommendations and the patient can determine whether to take them or not, it it definitely signifies a different relationship. Um, and for a patient doctor than a client doctor. So I, I get where that push, why that push has you know, why people advocate for that terminology shift. But from my standpoint, I don't, it's not something I feel comfortable with. And I don't like how there is sort of a lack of sort of a sterilization of the patient doctor relationship in that way. Mm, Yeah. I, I try to, I try to instill that power, that self-efficacy from the get-go so that the person always knows that they have final say and, and plenty of research exists to show that when people, when patients, clients, whatever, they feel that they have that decision-making ability, that they're way more likely to stick with treatment than, than not. And they're way more likely to trust that provider's opinion and to follow through on recommendations than not. And so it does improve uh, adherence to medication recommendations and also improves that relationship. That being said, I, I do provide my opinion and there are certain things that, you know, I'm not just going to have, you know, if I disagree with what course of action we should go and there is, I find no clinical indication for prescribing a certain medicine to a patient, or I think that it's not, it could be detrimental, I'm not going to change that based on what, you know, the patient feels like would be best. I engage in a conversation with them. 
Um, I try to understand where they're coming from and do my best to address their concerns, maybe in a safer, more appropriate suggestion. On the flip side, they can kind of dictate their care and, and I get it, but I'm not, you know, going to just provide an inappropriate medicine for they want Adderall or they want something that may not be the best um, treatment option for them, but it is super important to allow people to understand they are the ones controlling this and that if something is not working for them to be very upfront and let me know. Cause I have no, uh, it, it is not me that is experiencing what they're experiencing. And, mm-hmm. and also I, t- I tell them too, um, that they, they are the experts in themselves. And while I may be, you know, an expert in treatment options and the field of psychiatry, that they're the ones that truly know themselves. So, mm-hmm. so I can maybe try to do my best guess. You're just interested in whatever's best for them. So mm-hmm. Is I'm gonna think more about that patient and client conversation. That's I agree with you. I've thought about it, but I've the way you've presented it, I, I side it's, more with what you think. Yeah, I don't, and I've I've read a lot of opinions about it, but I would argue, and and that's the other argument is that um that the patient signifies oh somebody that's ill that yeah. is you know defined by a medical or psychiatric uh malady, but I actually feel like it doesn't, that doesn't have to be synonymous with illness. It patients are also people that are well, that are seeking care for a medical complaint. And, um, it also, there sets clear boundaries in the relationship of what is appropriate and what is not a client patient relationship is oftentimes there are boundaries, but it's very transactional. And again, yeah, I, yeah. Right. And, yeah, I think and so too. there is more for one person being the one that hires another person. Yeah. And so there's more of a customer service, service orientation with that and the need to please that individual and maybe maintain business. So yeah, when we started talking about it, the way I associate it now is the patient I took the different definition in terms of like, if someone, a patient has to be patient with themselves and how they're going to embark on this journey of mental health, mm. physical health, right? So there is this connotation of like, it's going to take time as opposed to client where it's like very, uh, mm. by the end of this, this day, I'm getting this, I'm getting this product. I'm yes. getting like, you know, Absolutely. these results or whatever. And so that's yes. the difference that I notice. They're you know? paying you for a result and yes. end product. And yes. Something that both of you have to work. Yes. Both of you have to work together. But Correct. that's so fraught with issues in medicine, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I cannot, no one, none of us can guarantee that this is how things are going to turn out. And while I want the, I want this individual to now have energy yeah. and now have more interests or interests in the things that they enjoy, be able to work out, et cetera. I yeah. can't guarantee that. And honestly, exactly. I don't even know if that is what we should be aiming for. Usually mm-hmm. my conversations with patient people, patients, now I'm starting to pay attention to what, how I'm saying this, <laughs> right. um, is because I don't love that it is has a clinical clinical I know, connotation. Yeah. I, I you know, and I don't mean for it to because 
person, a person is more than just a patient, but again, yeah. it's, it's sort of just one aspect and this, exactly. it defines a specific relationship, but, um, what I try to tempt, tamp down is people's expectation of what I am capable of doing because they're not in essence, hiring me to give them a certain outcome. It's not as simple as that. And my goal is to not only, yes, I want to meet their expectations, but I'm also responsible for doing what's right by them, even when they don't believe that that is what direction we need to go. And now there are people um, in medicine that do, unfortunately, they do that. There are people that are cash paid providers that are maybe more interested in, maybe they rationalize it to helping people, but they could be more interested in also making money. And this is an aspect of care that I take a lot of issue with because there are some really inappropriate stuff that providers do. Mm. And there's, I mean, you can report it, you can educate patients on this, but really it does a disservice. Um, to you as a clinician, but there are people that are not willing to do the right thing. And that will give somebody an inappropriate medicine when you know that this is, this is inappropriate care. And this is not based on, and this is in terms of like controlled substances, Mm -hmm. um, other medications that are inappropriate that are not treating the patients over all condition, but rather their symptoms, um, and et cetera. So, and then you have to kind of explain why they should trust you and not Mm -hmm. the other provider. It's really horrible. And so uh, this is the problem too. I mean, I think this, there's a lot of problems with, um, a, a system that is based on, um, profit, like a healthcare system based on earning a profit. And while there's a lot of good things, um, about it, they're also the, that negative stuff. And so people have to pay their bills. And, um, and so I'll have patients that are getting inappropriate medicines from other providers and then have to have that conversation with them and hope that, you know, maybe they, they can recognize, okay, well, you know, they trust in what I'm saying, but again, they can go out and find a provider that they can essentially employ to, to, prescribe them the medications that they feel are going to be most helpful for them, even though they're not. And so it's, I will say that most of the time, but when they see me, they recognize that they can assess like the medicines, at least they're not doing what they totally need to do, um, that they're on. And maybe over time we can kind of back up and maybe reduce, if not discontinue, the medicines that they're on that are not appropriate, but it takes time and you have to be very careful because there are a lot of reactions when you t- try to take or tell somebody that, you know, you don't necessarily feel that the, the Ativan or the Xanax that they're on is appropriate or the Adderall that they're taking is really helping them or even like them smoking pot, like every couple hours a day is really helping their anxiety. You know, you have to be very careful about that because there are a Mm -hmm. lot of opinions and Mm -hmm. beliefs about, and, and, and also just a lot of times you come into the, the situation where you, for instance, say the person's tried 
a bunch of different medicines that you've recommended or another provider has recommended, but pot is like the only thing that they feel is <laughs> treating their anxiety or treating their depression, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and so they, there's a lot of like hesitancy and a lot of suspicion from them to you now that it's like, now they're meeting you and you're telling them to stop taking the one thing that has been helpful for them. Mm-hmm. And so you have to assess where they're at. And this is why I think addiction, not to say that individual would be addicted, but addiction is so important to understand is mm-hmm. that to come off of a medicine altogether or come off of whatever the person is taking and just say like, no, you should not be taking. This is not always the best approach. Yes. It's important to counsel people on the risks and, um, alternatives of whatever they're maybe using inappropriately. Um, but it's also important to build that trust and alliance that they understand that you're not judging them mm-hmm. and that you're not, your job is to not necessarily just give them what they're wanting, but also make sure that whatever you think you're treating appropriately, whatever condition they have, but also taking their best interests into account mm-hmm. and reassessing if they just, if they, decide to keep coming to you, reassessing at each visit where they're at, and then trying to, to plant the idea of, I think that just based on these facts, like you're still struggling and some people don't like some people are taking a medicine, you know, they don't have ADHD. They're on Adderall. Somebody put them on it in the past. They're taking it. They feel like it's super helpful. They're not experiencing any like insomnia, anxiety, or any issues that would make you feel like, this was working against yeah. them, but they're, they're coming to you to, to get the prescription on a regular basis. I mean, at that point you kind of have to, yes, is this appropriate? Like probably not like it shouldn't have been started in the first place. Um, but does it seem to be helpful clinically? Yeah. But always reassess whether this, this medicine, which doesn't seem to have a clinical indication is appropriate. It's something that I think psychiatrists more so than a lot of other providers have to have to touch on very frequently because our medicines, a lot of times can be super addictive, maybe not even addictive, but person develops tolerance or dependence and cause side effects down the road. And so then we always need to assess whether this is an appropriate treatment option. So just sum it all up. (laughs) That's why it's important to always be thinking from that standpoint, rather than uh, an employee of a patient or employee of a person to just be giving a person whatever they're wanting. Yeah. Yeah. You're dealing with people's mind. And there's so much responsibility with that. Like, of course, body. Yeah. But in terms of how they think about everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Like, it, and you like, don't want to. Yeah, it's it yeah. can be very distressing, for instance, like, you know, so oftentimes when somebody sees me for the first time and it's an outpatient setting and I look at their med list and I just am like, oh, my God, they're Oof. on a bunch like they're on a bunch of different medicines and. I don't even know if anything, any of this is doing anything because you look and you, you can easily determine Mm. that they're on medicines that are, that could be creating side effects that the other medicine is using to treat. And so you're like, I don't even know why this person would need to be on it. And then you, you come to find out that, yeah, like their medicine list is just a mess. And 
they're, oh, it, yeah. So anyway, but the important thing is like, you get, you sometimes don't even touch it at the first visit because you don't want to do something that the patient doesn't feel comfortable with and be the cause of them having psychiatric issues or side effects to discontinuing. And now after they're like, they don't trust you going forward. So you want to be very like, you want to be very cautious and yeah, yeah. And, and sensitive to how you approach that and, and do it at a reasonable pace that the patient feels comfortable with. Yeah. So it's something I've, I've honestly had to be more comfortable with in, in the outpatient setting as I've gone along, because I like to clean things up for people. When I, when I mm. see like inappropriate medicines, I, I like to educate and I mm. like to, I like to get them off as soon as possible because I, I really think that it's important for people to know what the long-term effects are possibly how it's contributing. But I have to recognize too, I've learned that at the end of the day, the goal is one for the patient to trust me enough to, if they were to experience like some of the symptoms of coming off of a medicine that they would trust that, you know, what I'm saying is the right direction to take. Um, and that they would feel comfortable coming back to me and not just completely, you know, decide, Oh, well, this person made me feel bad. And they told me to come off of this and it was horrible. And then just decide not to see me again or not take my recommendations, like as something that should be paid attention to. So I've had to learn to be a little less aggressive in terms of, (laughs) of recommendations, even though for, I'm like, Oh my God, I could be like exasperated. Um, but you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Temperate down. (laughs) It's interesting that both of those outcomes came from the same industry like of them getting on those medications and then you finding you and you realizing you don't need all of these. It's like, it came from the same place that you went to school for. It happens so (laughs) much. You would be so, I mean, I would, oh God, there's a lot. It's a very nuanced and I don't, I mean, I know it's, I have my own personal opinions about it of how a lot of instances where this does happen, um, where people are, sort of in their own, like either practicing within a healthcare system that doesn't have a lot of oversight or they're practicing independently. Yeah, They just don't have a lot of education. And it happens Um, everywhere, but specifically with mental health, like that's where I feel like it should not happen. Right. I know. (laughs) I know. The question earlier that you shelved about has the aim of psychiatry uh, move from happy, having a happy and fulfilled patient versus a functional patient. Can you just kind of yeah. talk about that a little bit? I like that question because, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if one is an aim versus the other, but I do think that one is maybe a more realistic aim in general. Um, mm-hmm. from my perspective, I think ultimately we want to cure illnesses, um, we want patients to not suffer, but realistically, we have to remind ourselves and also the patients we treat that suffering is a part of life. Um, and acceptance is also the more, the easier that they, they can, or the quicker that they can learn to accept that they are going to struggle with 
psychiatric issues, mental health issues, even physical medical, other medical issues that the quicker they can learn to develop the coping strategies to adapt to those issues as they arise. Um, and then sort of learn how to live a functional life despite uh, those issues. Cause I think, you know, the problem with focusing so much on a cure or happiness or, you know, base resolution of illness is it's not a realistic goal for most illnesses in general, regardless of mental health or psychiatric illness. So I think that the conversation of functionality has to be had from the get beginning. And they've done a lot of studies on this in terms of people with a, a medical condition that are told that they're going to be cured of this, or this is only going to be temporary versus those that are told that this is going to be permanent. The ones that are told that it's going to be permanent actually report less instances of psychiatric illnesses or psychiatric symptoms and more contentment overall. And this is not the same for everyone, but generally speaking, uh, the, the uh, idea is that sort of accepting that something is going to be there for the long run allows people to develop those skills to deal with it more so than somebody that has the mentality of, well, this is supposed to be going away. Why is it still here? That sort of had, it creates, it can create more psychiatric issues and less contentment because they, the belief of resolution. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So where, where is your focus on going forward that you want to work with? Who, who you want to work with and what do you want to work in? What does that look like? Like a patient population or yeah, like what are your interests? Um, So I like, I have a lot of interests in the field of psychiatry. Thankfully, you know, I think what's cool about one thing that's really cool about psychiatry is you're not just limited to um, in the hospital versus out of the hospital or outpatient setting. You have a variety of different settings that you can work in um, and variety of different patient populations. But I also, I like kind of working with a mix of people and, um, I do like working in the community. I like being in a setting that allows me to understand what some of the challenges and barriers are to access and being in tune with that. And so I like working with underserved patients. And typically that also means a little bit more diagnostically or psychiatrically complex patients, medically complicated patients, it's very rewarding to be able to work with individuals, um, who are meeting those criteria and then see them get better. I also like working with maybe more acute patients. So seeing people who are pretty ill and either psychotic or pretty darn depressed and not, not doing well, um, that, may need an inpatient stay. So I like seeing those individuals, um, do better. And often you get to see that when you work with people that are not doing so well. Um, that's the benefit of psychiatry. 
and psychology and mental health in general is being able to see how people can change so dramatically Mm. seeing the gears kind of working in people's head and, and recognizing like, wow, this is not the same person. And it really adds some perspective too, in terms of, you know, we're not, we shouldn't be defined by our lowest points. Um, And it adds a lot of humility to Mm. seeing people at that point, because to, to see them on the flip side and doing well is, is essentially, I mean, this is like seeing any individual out and about doing well Mm -hmm. and mental health is non-discriminatory. It affects everyone. So it really, really offers a lot of perspective when you, when you see people struggling and then you see them get better, you're like, holy shit. (laughs) You're like, you're so much better. This is insane. Yeah. And it's, it's night and day. So it's really cool to see that happen for me personally. I find I get energized when I get to work with people in more of an inpatient setting. So I think probably the answer to that is I'll like to work with both populations of inpatient and outpatient, um, to balance it out. Oh, and the other thing I forgot to mention is part of psychiatry, which probably, which is not talked about so often and is probably more stigmatized than, well, is more stigmatized than taking medicines is a field of what we call like neuromodulation, which involves electroconvulsive therapy, um, and a therapy called a trans, um, well, it's transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, And it's for folks that, uh, oftentimes for people with, who have failed medications, uh, at least one or two different med trials and are still having some significant symptom burden, usually from depression. Um, and it's a, it's a modality that involves, uh, kind of altering the neurochemistry by way of different, um, a different mechanism than medications can offer. So, and that's also, I I will say like, I am love that. I see people get, uh, drastically, I see dramatic changes from people. Um, and I would like to incorporate some of that too. That's interesting. That's something I think we could probably dive into some other time. Cause that's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's very (laughs) fascinating. And and most people view it um, in the lens of if you've seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest or yeah. how, what, what they call quote unquote shock treatment. Yeah. And, and we try to steer away from that just because that term and, and that imagery is so how, not how it is and how we, we view it as, and there's so many studies that prove it's, it's efficacy for people that are very depressed and so um, we often maybe don't reach for it as quickly as we should. And, and there, it is a, what we would consider more invasive, but it is so helpful for people. Um, but yes, it, it does have a stigma a little bit more so than taking medicine. Throughout our whole conversation so far, there's, there's a lot of carryover in how people can apply this into their life, like the mental health aspect of it. Because there's been times where, this isn't like a clinical aspect, like what you probably deal with, but uh, I, with friends, they're like going through something and they're like, feel very defeated or devastated. And 
I find it that it's interesting that people don't take the time to kind of look back at their life and seeing all the very big accomplishments that led them to where they are now. And, and I find that whenever you do that with people, it's surprising to see their face kind of, oh yeah, like I have been through all this. I've been through that and I made it out. I did this, I did that. And I feel like that is a very good tool to try to have a better relationship with your mental health. Right. And, and, mm. and, and like, although like everything that we've just talked about, mm-hmm. there's carryover into a lot of different aspects of your life. So this, <clears throat> this idea of how we can change the narrative of what mental health is and how it's not something scary, how it's not someone killing you, a serial killer who has all yeah. these disorders, um, is, is how we can hopefully try to change those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the shift needs to be focused just like anything in terms of medicine needs to be focused on also on wellness and the aspects of mental health that, um, are not disease related, you know? Um, while I do think that that is important, I do, I, I think that it needs to be more of a universal thing that people recognize like, yeah, Hey, you know, like I'm actually, this is a part of mental health. Um, I'm helping myself, um, utilize, or I'm, I'm using these techniques. I'm taking ownership and action, but recognize like that is something that they're engaging in. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and maybe that in a way can allow people to recognize, like, despite not having a psychiatric illness, you're actually doing the things that we would <laughs> yeah. recommend to people yeah. that do. And so, um, and I also want to just point out to that, like, it, it is something that is ubiquitous. I mean, most individuals, a lot of individuals in their life are going to experience uh, symptoms of a psychiatric illness, whether or not they meet criteria is, is sort of, you know, different and, and maybe they don't, but, but depression, anxiety, all of that is ubiquitous. And so it's something that, um, while it might not be to the degree that requires me or a psychiatrist intervening or prescribing medications, it's something that, you know, maybe needs to be paid attention to a little bit more and, and recognized as, um, you know, if, if it's starting to interfere with your life, recognized as something that maybe needs to be looked into by a provider. And so, um, I think we're doing a better job in terms of in healthcare of screening for this type of thing. We're doing a better job at treating and catching individuals who may have otherwise not uh, approached a psychiatrist. But the important part is you're not alone and that people, I mean, if they're going to admit it or not, deal with this yeah. often. So. There is that other side where people completely, are, I guess, try to attribute it all to it's just my mental health. And yeah. a lot of people are attach themselves to certain labels. And I'm like, well, don't be like, don't close yourself off. Yeah. Maybe there's those types of tendencies or, or you having a moment yeah. where it has that it's related to that, but it's not who yeah. you are as an identity. You know, it's you're, interesting. You know, identity. It's, it's, That's really hard. One, a lot of people, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I bet. Especially you're... when you talk about identity for, for people in the generation yeah. uh, below, you know, and as, as you sort of come up, it's becoming more of, you know, there's a lot more individualism that I'm seeing from youth and, and 
that, that I've, you know, it's not something that we've paid attention to historically. Um, and the older generation really hasn't. And so I think that there, there's so much of a generational gap between even yeah. myself, um, who doesn't, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be an old person, but compared to no. <laughs> people these days, like in, in adolescence, I'm like, I don't even know what's going on, honestly, <laughs> um, or what the terminology for certain thing is. And thankfully my patients educate me, but, um, identity is becoming more and more of an issue nowadays. And, while I think that that's a good thing to, to recognize maybe who you are, um, it's, it's a process. And yes. I also think too, that and maybe I w- worry that individuals may be putting too much pressure mm, on it. Yeah. Um, and, and that just, there's maybe even more discomfort from not knowing who you are yeah. as a person or individual. Um, I also worry too about identity, um, that sometimes individuals can very closely identify with their psychiatric illness and, and not in a healthful way, um, but more in a, in a way that yes, it provides some comfort and understanding, but in a way that maybe also is used as a, an explanation of why they're continuing to struggle with certain things. That can be neither good nor bad, um, but when it's starting to interfere with, to meet certain goals and expectations that they you have for yourself, then you have to kind of take a step back and think about that and whether or not that identity is serving you um, in a healthful way. Yeah, <clears throat> at least like in a societal sense, like I, when I have conversations with people or people want to have that type of conversation, I usually try to define the context of what they want to talk about because there is an acknowledgement of that person having that experience. Totally cool. But in terms of how that looks broader terms, there's just too many different individuals with different experiences that you you can't really put one label on it. And so you and I, that's what I feel the conversation with mental health should should be set up in that way because everyone's yeah. so concerned with like the individual but as an individual in a collective let ourselves relate to people but not define that whole profession in a very absolute way right because it looks different for everyone it's difficult to have that conversation because people yeah. want to feel seen and want to have this identity oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah. yeah. Cause I'm like, we or could I deal with people that don't want to be seen. <laughs> That's uh, more often than not, you know, really? cause I mean, well, cause the health, a lot of people that are not, that are doing well, they don't see me as often. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I, I have individuals, I treat individuals that, that are struggling with their identity. That's a huge thing. Um, and whether or not that that is something like it's an absolute that they have to know who they are. I I don't necessarily know if that is the, is something that we need to discover rather than just being comfortable with not knowing who you are right now. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that that's more, that is more of an achievable goal than figuring out who you are. Yeah. You know, I mean, but I think that there is a lot of pressure on, on that, like knowing, um, to know your identity and also know what you stand for. I mean, kids these days truly have more of a stance on things than I did (laughs) at their age. And maybe even as an adult, I mean, 
I, I sort of, I'm impressed, but at the same time, I I also worry that they have their, they're introducing a lot of, of psychiatric, you know, uh, issues now because of that, because they're so Mm -hmm. quote unquote woke and, uh, they're very in tuned with what's going on and whether that be good or bad, I, I, I just think that there needs to be some grace of not knowing and, yeah, and that's permission good. to not know who you are. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. That's but I, I have to chime out and say that like, you, it sounds like you're an amazing trainer, Isaac, like, oh. <laughs> you probably, like you're, you're using therapy techniques. Yeah. That you have an intuition uh, to use actual therapy techniques on individuals that you're, you're training. So it, I think going to a program is going to be a lot easier for you to, to integrate and learn uh, the different theories and therapy modalities than you would when maybe some other individuals, because mm. I, I feel like there's a, it comes a little bit na- more natural to you mm. than perhaps other people. Oh, thanks. I hope I'm excited. Not I'm everyone excited. is good at therapy. Honestly, <laughs> no. not everyone is good wow. at therapy. But um, because I I mean, really, there are some individuals where you're just like, why are you why did you decide to go into this? And I would say that they're they're, you know, they're not the inspiring ones. But when you see a good when you have a good therapist or when you see one in action, you're just it's so it's so cool because it's a there's a finesse that you can't always teach. Mm. And you have yeah. to be in tune with the individual. You have to have an understanding of how that individual may think and perceive information. Mm. And that's not always by asking an open-ended question and getting an answer for them. Because mm. part of the time, they're not even able to voice what they're there to see you for. Or maybe their problems and not aren't you're recognizing that that's not the main reason or that's not the main focus of why they came to you. And it's Mm -hmm. probably not what they need the most help with. So you have to interpret information based on your gestalt, what you're picking up from that patient rather than what they're, they're telling you. And you have to be, you have to be very understanding and insightful with what maybe an individual needs, but also what people need. So yeah. Yeah. That's not something you can really teach. You you have to you have to just get it. Yeah. I know. I'm grateful for people like you because you've got really <laughs> I can have these types of conversations. Boy, you, know? you are it is gonna be so invaluable for you to go into psychology. You know how much good you'd be able to do just by the fact that you are um minority and you could do so much to dispel um you know stigma and stereotypes of what yeah. mental health is to to even just be by the fact that you were somebody that physically look like a person you would get it from a different perspective mm-hmm. because i will tell you majority of of people that go into psychology or become a therapist do tend to be people that are white and mm-hmm a lot of them more so women these days than men. Um, and so that right there, just not even having people that even look like you or could even, you would assume understand the cultural aspects. 
is hard to, to make a person feel like somebody totally gets it. And I will say that this is brought up often. So from minority patients, yeah, that they just feel like they're not understood or heard. Mm. And while I think it, it needs, that needs, that perspective has to be challenged because like to expect even, yes, I get it. Like there's something intrinsic to knowing culturally what things are like if, you know, somebody is your same ethnic background, yeah, but, or grew up similarly, but you're also discounting like other things that could, yeah. could or could not be true. And also you're assuming that that individual grew up similarly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and so that's also fraught with disappointment and uh, probably some thinking errors in that regard. So I don't, I don't know how helpful it is for even individuals to even find therapists that are of their same uh, ethnicity. But again, it, it, it reduces the barrier and makes people, that's kind of like part of the issue is to helping people feel more comfortable, yeah. at least initiating that process. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. I know we've been trying to do it for a while, but but it worked out. I know um, it's it. We did a lot of like pre-interviews because we had so many conversations, but we've gone on for so long, and it's I like know. there's just so much. But this is a good kind of place to start I, and yeah, see okay. what we can branch out because I think having you on with different things and honing in on a specific yeah. area would be very interesting. Because I and I'm also t- happy to not discuss health too. It's like <laughs> I true. mean it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's like, there are parts of this that I love and I'm passionate about and I love what I do. But yeah. at the same time, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I just want to be a person that yeah. talks about what is going on in the world and yeah. just talks about <laughs> stupid crap that uh, no one else cares about. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about reality shows, how you like them. Yeah. Or just like plants. I love plants. plants. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna make a little series on massage. Oh yeah, you still do that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do I'll, a lot of clients hire you for both? Or yeah, I with me it has to be both. Like I try to. Ooh, I'm, that's not... <laughs> awesome! I love that you are like leveling up. Yeah, like it's a must. I always talk to them, uh, it, even if it's just once a month, like a maintenance one. That aspect is really important in how I work. So. Good. I try to to educate why and why they go hand in hand. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I've had some real shit massages here and I'm really, I'm really, I'm kind of paranoid and I think I've almost given up on finding a good masseuse. Um, It's a journey. (laughs) People have their own ideas of what it is and and there's a lot of misconceptions about it too, but. um, Right. Like some people think that it is right. It's like a luxury. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's my thing. Insurance should freaking pay for it. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, it can be so life-changing. I mean, granted, so can foam rolling, but life-changing to people. The touch is different. Touch. Okay. This is how I explain why people feel like Reiki therapy is. (laughs) (laughs) it's bullshit (laughs) but but if you under like it makes sense why certain individuals are like it's so helpful because it's almost like it incorporates um so incorporates some touch some like therapeutic touch it's not really massaging but it's like a little bit of mindfulness a little bit of like voodoo type shit Mm -hmm. and a little bit of touch which for people with trauma or like serious emotional shit it can be super therapeutic and so 
but yeah but the whole idea of like basically Mm -hmm. having their energy harnessing their energy and like flowing it (laughs) it's so stupid i'm just like you're like how much of that (laughs) so it's funny you say that because i i totally agree with you but there is an aspect that i can't explain but i don't try to explain it but But people when people try to explain it when people try to explain like, it, that's where I check out because you're losing. I know, me, me too. You, you will lose people. Thing. Yes. <laughs> but here's the thing. I saw the patients because when they tell me that, I'm like, I ask them, one, is it working? And if it is great, keep doing it. But I say to myself, I sort of conceptualize it. I'm like, this is what's actually working, I think, from them, mm-hmm. from it. And again, sometimes placebo is good enough. Like placebo has a response. And so yeah. if it actually is improving every stuff with them or they're seeing an improvement, then I'm like, yeah, great. I, I think that's awesome that you continue mm-hmm. doing it. Exactly. So, but I'm like, God, get a massage or something because it's probably as much. Yeah. Um, but honestly, like, I would, I honestly would do get trained in Reiki therapy if I could get some money for that. <laughs> just, just like, My hands, I know, I'm just not like whoosh you. the energy out. Right. Yeah. So sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say about this experience that you had? Oh, um, or weird situation. Yeah. So, okay. So this person, they're a psychologist. And at the time I was like, oh, well, I'm trying to go into that. So I want to ask people about it. And so I talked to him about it and I normally don't get this, but I, when I do, I'm always like, hmm, I don't know. I feel like I've gotten to know people's yes. people fast. Yes. <laughs> and so he texted me, are you still doing massage? And I was like, yes. And he's like, I would like to book one. Yeah. And he's like, all right, let's set this up. So then I set it up and we get started. And Kim, I don't, I've never seen someone. I'm like this. worried now. <laughs> no, nothing happened. So part of me I'm was worried like, you got assaulted or something. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm guarded enough to know I can like, I don't his energy will not affect mine. So I can oh, handle great. whatever situation was going to happen. I mean, come so, on. So, of course you are. You <laughs> had a psychedelic experience from deep breathing. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, because yeah, I'll tell you now, 10 years ago, I would probably be so nervous. I'll be sweating. I was like, uh, I'm still going to try to do this. But this time I'm like, no, no, no. I'm I'm grounded. If if there is a weird interaction, then I'm I'm going to be like, this is this isn't appropriate. Right. Again, I've never seen someone like this. Uh-huh. But it felt like he was like having a manic episode because he would jump from different conversations. It was going all over the place. He was asking me questions. And I was like, this isn't about me, right? Like throughout the whole time, I had to maneuver that whole situation. But he is a psychologist and treats people for a living. And I was just like, I don't think this is a person mm-hmm. that should be doing this right now. Because, <laughs> yeah. because I felt so, it was, I mean. You're like, bro. I'm, yeah. Something's going on here. If I wasn't not me, normal. Yeah. If I wasn't me, I would feel very uncomfortable. It was an odd experience. Was and he it made jump. Did he interrupt you? Was he talking fast? He was talking fast. And sometimes he would interrupt me. He would laugh. Was it, it was kind a of scary inter- like it was like nothing was funny about that. What, yeah. Like he would laugh like, about something. He, he might have been. He might have been a little manic or hypomanic, as we call it. Yeah. I and mean, so, honestly, that sounds like. And so then he's he suffers through certain things. And that's the, he kind of shared that that's why he went into this field because he wants to oh, help people. Oh, that's the bad. I know. And that's what I'm Boy, saying. Mm. And so he's okay. like. No, um, that's a lot of people. And like. He's a psychologist. He should see if they're. And he does. Right. But I was just, I was just confused by the whole situation. At the very end, leaving that whole place, I was like, I don't feel comfortable continuing because I don't want to be his. I'm not a therapist. <laughs> Like I've well, had people share you, things. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. There's moments where people share things with me, but that was different. You're doing, you're getting massage to tell me something 
and not enjoying the massage. Like the massage purpose is to relax. It sounds like one, you were not able to do what you were want. Like the purpose of the thing was to help relax. treat yeah. whatever. Yeah. The shoulder relax, stuff. Whatever. There was, yeah. Yeah. And you didn't feel like you were able to accomplish that. I did because I, again, like I've grounded myself. I'm going to work good. on what I have to do. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm, not, I'm like, I'm going to do what I have to do. And at the end, everything <laughs> felt different, which is great. Okay. This is from my field, like touching people for so long already. There is a different type of tissue when someone's stressed. Like I feel it. It oh, feels hell different. Yeah. It feels That's different. My tissue. <laughs> and so I told him a large part is just being able to chill. Huh. You can walk, chill. meditate, things that just take you into a pattern of something where you're focused, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, to be honest, that's what you should do. He's like, I shouldn't roll. I'm like, yeah, but like, if you want my best answer right now for what you need is probably like that stuff that take you into a more parasympathetic state, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I thought this was what massage was going to be for you, but maybe it's not, like not right now, right? Right. If you're going to get massage, like, massages you need for, to have some degree of that yeah, yeah. and so and that was the difference in terms of like how i've had experiences with other people who've shared things with me very serious things but the session wasn't taken by how he was jumping around to all these different things and so that was the wow. difference wow I, I guess this is preparing me because now that's a different kind of ball game because i like when i'm working with my hands i also have to there's a tactical yeah. aspect but yeah. the way he was approaching that felt more like, let's sit down and talk about things. And I, I'm like, this isn't the job right now. I'm like, no, yeah. no, <laughs> I don't want to. But you know that that, that is kind of like, I mean, that's kind of how it is, right? Yeah. Um, I, but it is made me think of you. When, oh, really? Yeah, because I, I was mean, like, oh is, my gosh. What would, yeah. No, because that's kind of the purpose of them meeting me and not like to get a massage. So I'm able to talk about that stuff because that's why they're coming to see me it's different when you have somebody coming to see you and then you're like but they they're wanting to do something else or talk about and you're just like well this is so frustrating no like they're not wanting to talk or do anyway i don't like when people try to treat something else and then they're seeing me and i'm like well what do you expect me to do about that i get annoyed (laughs) um sounds like a weird interaction but it did i mean if he wasn't like on anything and if you know maybe he was a little hypomanic it sounds like it because jumping from topic to topic without any linear like understanding of how did he go from there to there it's called loose associations in his mind it may make sense because things are coming up that he's making connections to. That's why he's asking another question that's on a completely separate subject. But to you, it's like, whoa, like you're all over the place. And that's typically how, when you see a manic patient or you see a hypo, like you recognize it as such. Mm. You recognize like, this is not normal. Mm. And oftentimes too, when people are in an agitated or anxious state that, and they have bipolar disorder that can come off as like anxiety, but it's really like their mania or hypomania because they are unpredictable. And that's why, so it is important to pay attention to that um, because they are erratic. They can be unpredictable in in a lot of ways. So you kind of do have to be like a little bit cautious sometimes because they can get super irritable also part of mania oftentimes is increased like sociability not in a in a positive way like not everyone a lot of times when people are manic or hypomanic it is a way that is like 
not normal. Mm. <laughs> so either being overly friendly with people that is not, you know, appropriate, being overly talkative, um, talking about stuff that's not something that you like, you know, socially inept. Mm. Um, and, and also like laughing inappropriately, um, yeah. being overly familiar. These people can get themselves into trouble because of it, but they wouldn't maybe have done that if they were not manic. Um, mm. So it, it is really a really sad wow. illness because it, it, it fucks up people's lives. So Oof, yeah. if he does have it, I'm hope, hoping that he gets treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he, hopefully he's on right. Good medicine. Yeah. It's the whole time. I was just like, you are helping people. And oh, I know. Well, here's the problem is like mental health is ubiquitous. So you're going to have people that have their own personal stories of mental illness. But what you want is making sure that that's under control. Um, But I will say there are individuals that go into social work or therapy um, and they are not, they have like a personality disorder where it's so different than, mm. than having like depression or bipolar anxiety. It's like something where they are like, they cannot see the forest for those trees. They're, they are so personality disordered and they're not even like well themselves yet. Mm. They are trying to help other individuals. So Oof. it's those are that's the worst case scenario honestly like there's a social worker here in the community and she gets admitted every once in a while for like depression or suicide attempt but while she's in the hospital she is like be so dysregulated she'll try to escape the unit and then be like ah, you know what i mean like very mm. and she she's not psychotic or anything like that but she's like flailing and but they're i mean but these you know those are the people i would say probably like no maybe you shouldn't go into this because it's too you're too it you can't regulate your own goddamn self and in a consistent way yep and and these are the people that also get too in what we call enmeshed in their patients so they cannot be objective they cannot be and 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 that's not therapeutic yeah so it's health it's good that you or not that way yeah no i that's my fear i'm like i never want that to because no. i i feel like i'm kind of crazy i mean i feel like we're all kind of crazy but and i feel sometimes crazy i have moments where i'm like man i'm crazy i'd be talking to myself about you know i just <laughs> i go all over the place in my head yeah. i'm like what well but, that's everyone uh, <laughs> you know but, um, that's everyone yeah and um and so i just i that because i'm dealing with other people and if i'm going in this field i'm like i want to make sure that i'm okay before Oh, absolutely. That's super healthy. And that's every, that should be like the standard for everyone, but especially for mental health. I mean, also God, and I think that's great. I think you're probably one of the healthiest individuals that could go into that field. Um, and also like way more intuitive, I think, than a lot of people. I will, you know, it's interesting when you go into medicine and then, and then in mental health, even you, it's surprising that, you know, you expect people to have the insight that you, you have in, although you might not recognize it in Mm -hmm. yourself until you start 
noticing how other people are towards patients and how they interact. Oh. And you're like, wow, they just don't get it. You know, like yeah. they're just like, I wouldn't have said that to this person. Cause like, you know, you kind of watch it happen and you're like, Oh, that person, that patient didn't seem like they took that well, or, you know, and then the provider doesn't seem like they're getting it. Yeah. Um, stuff like that, where you're just like, Ooh, you know, but mm-hmm. then, then you start questioning like, well, who am I to say, or, yeah. or not say like what's right or wrong, but you sort of realize as you go that there are certain things that you can't learn or teach people. Mm. You either have it or you don't. And that separates people from being really good clinicians and others from not being great clinicians. I feel like you have a good finesse uh, and ability to understand what is meaningful for a person. And so I think you're already, it sounds like you're already kind of providing some form of therapy to people that you treat. Somewhere. (laughs) And somewhere. That's why I want to go to school. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get that done. I'll let you know if there's anything I need. Yeah. And, but yeah. keep in touch otherwise. Yes, I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you when I get my plant. <laughs> awesome. Okay, yeah. take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of This Undefined. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Share the voice. And if you want more content to explore, as well as follow other projects we're working on, go to the website at www.thekilosproject.com. Till next time, train, recover, create.